Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Jared Mack, Eric Scopel on the show today. Uh, welcome to your Tuesday edition, or maybe it's Wednesday morning. Who knows when you listen to this? But Stanford week nonetheless. Uh, we have wrapped up a Monday evening media session with head coach Dan Lanning going over a review of what happened the previous week at home against Colorado and then some injury news from him. And then also we dive into some Stanford talk. And then Tuesday morning we went to football practice, saw stuff. And then uh, afterwards we spoke with five players on the offense and defensive side of the football for Oregon uh, ahead of Saturday's matchup. 3.30 kick, uh, Oregon at Stanford. Jared, real quick, I forget what the line is. Is it 24 and a half? It's another big number. Ooh, let me look it up. Uh, I think it was 27 yesterday. I kind of doubt it's changed, but I'll just kind of stall here while I look it up on my Caesar Sportsbook app, which will only take just a second, everybody, I promise. Uh, it's 27. Oregon is a 27-point 20, favorite. 27-point favorite. Uh, safe to say, guys, the buzz is still about last week's game than it is this week's game, and that's safe to assume to happen, you know. Stanford is a program that doesn't have a big fan base. They're not nearly as good as on paper, at least, as what Colorado presented. And so Monday night, there was a little bit of feedback off of what we saw Saturday. And we're only going to touch on this for a little bit. Uh, we debated on even talking about it. We felt like the comments, though, warranted the discussion. We need to bring it up. Um, Monday, throughout the day, the national media or more so talking heads on debate shows, discussed Oregon's pregame speech with Dan Lanning. He received some wild and crazy feedback, or criticism, I should say, on that speech. And Dan wanted the opportunity to address that Monday night and did so, and didn't back down from what he did. Said if it was his 10-year-old son across the field, he would do the same thing. He's playing to win the game. He has to do everything he can to motivate his team. He knows his team best. It was just a 15-second snapshot into what the Oregon house looks like. Um, and then, again, for like the third or fourth time, praised the impact college football has had with Deion Sanders as head coach. Um, hopefully, guys, this topic slowly dies away, but I, I don't know. Cool. I, I hope it does. We'll see. Yeah, it'd be, it would be uh... – Really nice if it could stop. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and that's kind of why we debated whether or not we even get into this issue. It's like it's we're three days past the game. I mean, it is Tuesday morning or now it's Tuesday afternoon. But uh, you still see like national pundits doing their thing. And I, we've gotten into it. And not we, but like people have gotten into it over the last couple of days. So I'm not going to bring it up anymore. But Dan had... I think it was almost like 500 words off it. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we'll be sitting here for a long time. We have the full quotes on DuckTerritory.com, um, everything Dan Lanning said on Monday. Um, and to what Matt said, Dan just said, like, I know how to motivate my guys. I know what's going to motivate them. That's what I said in the pregame speech. Look what happened. It motivated them. Um, and then, you know, Oregon came out with this very, very well done creative video afterwards, a game recap that had all the um, – with trash talking from Colorado beforehand that wasn't really seen. Uh, and then more of Dan Lanning's pregame speech that we didn't get to see, uh, even from the ESPN one. 
And so that instigated it even more. But but Dan really just shut all those things down to bed. And then I think most importantly, praise Dion because it's true. Like the 10.3 or 10.4 million people who watched that game on ES or on ABC, you know, they a lot of those weren't watching because of Oregon. A lot of those were watching because of Dion. And Dan recognized that. He praised him again. And he's done that basically all week last week. Like, you know, just this was a it was a much needed answer, I guess. And clearly Dan had been practicing that speech all day long because he knew this this question was going to be coming. Um, because he was ready. He was ready. He had all these things to say. And usually Dan isn't um it doesn't isn't a great public speaker. That's no disrespect to him, neither am I. But this one was like clean, smooth, concise, like he had everything planned out. So it was ready. It was it was coming. Um, it was a good statement from Dan, but I'm ready to to move on from Colorado. But this is what you get when you play Stanford. Yeah. And let's Eric, do you wanna do do you wanna respond at all? Is there anything that we haven't touched on? Not not really. I guess just the one thing I'd say is you know, being boots on the ground, covering this team as closely as I, I do, I pride myself in feeling like I have a really good pulse of how everything is is what's happening here. And in, in a sense, it's it is interesting being on this side, seeing the way things have been spun nationally. Um, and it was that way leading up to the game too. Of like that was said a lot longer ago than you're representing it to be said. Or I don't think that was really what he was saying when he said that to begin with. So it doesn't surprise me at all that on the other side of this, after uh, Oregon handled its business on the field uh, in dominant fashion, that there are still folks tr- twisting this into something that it wasn't. Um, Dan and like clearly had something to say for Skip Bayless, who, frankly, I don't. I've stopped watching him. Have not watched him for like a decade, and very rarely when I did watch him did I think he had really a good pulse on anything. So I'm not surprised. I I have told myself I'm not watching that video, so I haven't watched what exactly what was said. I know from talking to other folks kind of what the gist is, but I'm not surprised Dan it, it is been front and center trying to defend himself and the program at the same time. Um, it's just kind of a losing effort like with these folks. Like that they're you're not going to accomplish much, to be honest, because they'll just keep coming and twisting it into something it hasn't been, which frankly is been basically how this thing has been handled since the beginning. So um, I guess that would be the only perspective I would add, which is uh, unique. It's different when you're kind of this close to everything, seeing what the messaging nationally is um, and just having a sense of like, oh, that's really a lot of this is not really remotely accurate to any of it. And there's so much weird speculation now about like, did other schools help Dan Lanning beat Colorado? You can't tell me if you know football that you put those two teams on their film and said, "Oh, like Oregon needed all the help they could get to beat Colorado." Like, explain that for me. That was that was such nonsense. Now we're getting into it. I course. know. Now we're look. We've let ourselves uh, get into it because <laughs> to talk about this, you get fired up because because it's just. So well, it's not that you get fired up. It's just it's to your point of like we are here on a day to day basis, and some of the things that are being said from a national perspective are just so, uh, like like. Uh, so biased towards what they want to tell, which I guess is the point. It's the idea of getting clicks and everybody like yep. having a different opinion. The the Keyshawn Johnson, like they had help from other coaches, was such bullshit. Excuse my language, everybody. But what coach on earth isn't going to go and ask somebody for help if it you have good connections week. with that every, coach? It happens, it happens every, every single week. week. Dan talked about it. He had a connect or like he might reach out to the Wyoming coach after Texas Tech played Wyoming yeah. in week one. Like this type of shit happens all the time. 
This is not something new. I thought that one was was really ridiculous. Dennis Dodd and his Big 12 mouthpiece came out and said something different too. Just really, really dumb stuff going on out there. But it's clear like these are people who who want to continue to keep the clicks going, who want to continue to keep this media bias about Dion going. The thing is, you just need to let it run. You don't need to propel Dion into this higher upper echelon. Like he's already there. He's already the guy who's going to get the views, the clicks, the watches, everything in between. Like you don't need this. We don't need to sugarcoat it all as like a, as a media entity here. Like he's going to be like uh, you know next week. Like Oregon and Colorado had ten point four million. They're playing USC next week. That number is going to get blown out of the water. They're going to get yep. eleven points up. They're twelve points something because sure. of Dion. And you don't need to sugarcoat it and continue to talk about it. But here I think we are. The, the only thing I'll say is the thing, the thing that blew me away the most was Skip Bayless saying something stupid. Okay, like that—that that is his shtick. That—that that is what happens. That—that—that that is, that is we've seen this for over a decade. Like Eric said, the fact that three NFL Hall of Famers were on a show and they know football, they are some of the best players of the sport. And they watch the game, and their takeaways is Dan Landon cheated because he called other coaches, or they were aggressive because they ran a fourth down call when it was thirteen to zero uh, in the in the first quarter. Like these are guys that know football, and their fandom of Dion has has completely evaporated all all of their actual football knowledge. They can't look at the thing with you know field uh, like Eric said and say Oregon is just better. That, that's the reality. Like, if if Dan did call, and if he did, congrats. Who cares? But if he did call anybody to get help, literally the help is, hey, you have a significant advantage at the line of scrimmage. You probably should run the football. And then when they have the football, you probably should blitz. Like, it doesn't take a football savant to, to figure that out for a coaching staff that's really good to get a tip of, oh, yeah, they're, they're not very big. We probably should pressure them or – we should probably run the football, but here we are, ten minutes into a podcast. We did ten minutes. We're like, we're gonna, we're like, we're, we'll, we'll barely address it, and then we did ten. Let's talk about this week. Let's do that. Yes, uh, Dan did transition uh, after that question. Mind you, uh, he yes. did say, "I'm done talking about Colorado. I'm only going to talk about Stanford, and that's what we're going to do. We're 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 going to we're going to follow Dan's lead. We're going to go right into Stanford week. Um, it's an environment that is going to be different." than any environment this team has played in so far this season. Um, Dan Lanning called it a bring-your-own-juice type of a game. Um, the players have also recognized that hey, it's probably going to be a little bit different. If there's, I think Stephen Jones said they're expecting for it to be really hostile and really loud but because you have to. But if it's not, great. Good for them. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting game. And a lot of players have talked about it's Oregon versus Oregon. This week, that's Dan's theme, and that's going to be truly put to the test here of how energized, how fired up does this team get, you know, going into a week where there's a bye week the following week. It's not going to garnish nearly as much national attention as the previous week, uh, and, and this, is a, this is a big showing. To Stephen's comment, because I saw Jared's reaction, and I'm sure those listening would have the same one, I think – Stephen was being really careful not to give bullets and board material to Stanford because I was like, what's it like going into a game where there's not going to be an environment? And he was trying to be like, I'm not going to say what you just said, which is there's no one's going to be at this game, but there's probably not going to be anyone at this game. And if that's the case, that's good for us, which is basically what I kind of real quick, not to interject, but I kind of think the opposite. They're honoring Andrew Luck uh, 
he's being introduced into the Hall of Fame. So no one's going to be there. No one's going to be there. <laughs> like, no, like I, I looked this up to, earlier. You go ahead. I was just going to say, not to compared anyone. to like any of these games that we're going to actually play. Yeah, like a normal Power Five. Like, so I looked this up for my Dan Landing story earlier today on Tuesday. Their 2018 to 2022 average attendance, which obviously skewed a little bit by COVID, but that was only six games. Um, 28,101 people. So that's 56% of the stadium capacity. In 2022, it was 29,965, just shy of 30,000 30, people. So, yeah, no, there's there's not going to be – if there's 40,000 people there, I'll be stunned. Um, because yep. this is just kind of the way Stanford is. Like when we were there in 2021, even though Stanford won against number three, there, were, there wasn't anybody there. And then in the 2019, the time that they had gone before that with Justin Herbert year, like there were more Oregon fans than there were Stanford fans. And after this win against Colorado, like that's kind of what I expect again. Like Stephen Jones obviously being very nice and not trying to give uh, any bulletin board material, although I, I'm just not sure how much that would matter in this game, like at all. Um, if you could give Stanford all of the bulletin board material, make it real personal and keep all the receipts, some would say. And I don't think it's going to matter in the least bit. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, my over-under for the total attendance is going to be 36,484. Just mark it down. Oh, very specific. You've done your scout. Yeah. Write that can you repeat that so I can write it down? It's like 36,484. 36, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll all write that down on our notepads, and then I'm going to look 36, at it. 36,484. I'm going to have no idea what that number is when I look at it the next time I look at my notepad. but That's fine. Do we want to get into injuries, Matt? Yes. I mean, the big one is Jordan James. Or, no Whoa. way. Whoa. Whoa, Jordan James, you're hurt. You just, Sorry, you didn't just know if I told you that. You just scared all the listeners. No, no Whittington is the, is the running back who's injured and, as expected, um, was not at Tuesday's practice. I wouldn't expect to see him sort, certainly in the short term. Dan, again, we, we've been over it on the podcast. Just basically, essentially, I said next few weeks he won't be around. Also asked for prayers for Noah talked about how tough he is on Monday, was asked about the running back rotation and all that good stuff. And we can get to some of it in a second here, but kind of reiterated the the fact that the running back room is is feeling for for Noah. So again, no like real concrete timeline on a return, but given what has been said, a few weeks seems kind of optimistic, frankly, and probably more than kind of. It feels more likely this is going to be something that keeps him out for a significant amount of time. Um the other injury, the other absences that were kind of notable on Tuesday, Brian Addison, we never saw. Camden Lewis, mm -hmm. we never saw. Camden missed a practice in the last couple of weeks with a class conflict, and Oregon just started school, I think, today or in the last couple of days. Yesterday. Um, yesterday. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Camden, that's what's going on. I, I We went over to do his press, uh, the Dan Landing press conference yesterday, and Camden literally waved at me from a car. So I'm pretty sure he's a, he's, a, he's available. Um, Addison, I have less clarity on, but he's supposed to speak tomorrow, according to Oregon's uh, sports information staff. So if that's the case, probably going to be healthy. Um, and then a couple of guys that from an actual practice participation part that stood out was, were uh, Justin Jacobs, who did a couple full contact reps during Mod Bracket, which was frankly the most exciting thing we saw and have probably seen in a while from a practice. Um, so that seems somewhat promising, but again, he didn't, he didn't dress on Saturday, right, Jared? Uh, no, 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 
No. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. And then uh, Julio Florence looked like he kind of was off to the side during the full contact period and warmed up off to the side with guys like Pope, Popo and Tavita Pame, um, which I think leads me to believe he's dealing with like kind of something minor, but I would be, I don't know, maybe he won't play a ton this weekend, but that's sort of typically a sign of a partial participant. Was there anything else, Jared, that I didn't run through? Uh, no, that was it. Um, Justin only took one rep in the mod bracket drill, which is pretty standard for the like the interior guys. Like every once in a while, they'll rotate a couple guys in. Like uh, I think the one of the only people I have on this on my list of players who got in multiple times is like DJ Beckham and Tyler Turner, like guys who probably won't be playing too often in the next week. Uh, the other thing is that Tuesdays at practice are nicknamed Bloody Tuesday. That's just like the day where it's hard hitting. Uh, that's where after going to the doctor, they get you know tackled out in the field some more. Um, so I'm not surprised to see, Je uh, it's not Justin, but Jaleel Florence just take it yeah, maybe kind of take it easy today. Or Brian Addison, same thing, where I don't remember what BA went out with. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Looked like, like it ankle -ish. He was limping, jumping yeah. off the field, so it was lower body. I, I would say, yeah, I will. Was my I remember rewatching the game and seeing BA like warming up on the sideline and you know, doing little little sprints in front of a trainer, and but that was later in the game, so like the score was out of hand. Like it doesn't surprise me that on the on the biggest tackling day of the week outside of the game, that guys who were a little nicked up didn't participate, and that could have yeah. been the case for a long time here with Oregon's fall practice schedule, but. Specifically today, I'm not surprised. Um, Good point. Yeah, that, that was it from a defensive perspective. That was the first time we've seen Justin take part in one of these mod bracket drills or whatever the case may be since the spring. beginning of fall. I think, yeah, we've, I think spring maybe. Since, since the spring game. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so, so too. Definitely a step in the Dude. right direction. Jamal Hill had, had very nice things to say about him afterwards, but um, still, yeah, no, the practice, the, or the, the injury report remains uh, pretty – Pretty small here for Oregon as I knock on wood. Do we think this is the game if Strother, and, who hasn't played either yet, or Jake, Justin Jacobs plays? Or is it better to get them through this week, get them through the bye, and two extra weeks before they play Washington? I, think it I would really, say you would uh, – go ahead, Aaron. I, just, I think it really depends on where they are in their recovery, frankly. Like if if if, the, if you don't you aren't pushing anybody who is like on the verge of playing to play now is my opinion. So if Strether is one hundred percent healthy, then sure, get him some Stanford run. But if like in Jacobs, who's just now seeing his first full contact practice reps since spring that we've seen that we've seen very good point. Then I don't know if you need to rush him onto the field. I mean, we've seen Jacobs and Cleats now for the last two and a half weeks. And uh, yeah, about two. So we don't know what he's been doing on right. Thursdays or the not the, the 15 minutes that we barely get to see. Like he could <laughs> yeah. have been out there in pads and hitting people last Tuesday, the Tuesday before that. Probably not the Tuesday before that, but last Tuesday on Wednesday, Thursday. Like he could have been out there doing all these things. But today was the first time we saw him take a full rep and there are guys there there are guys on this team that i haven't seen take a mod bracket rep this year like starters because popo it's just a, no just just guys like it's just a mod bracket drill like there's it's not a whole lot into it 
So maybe because we didn't see him do it last week doesn't mean that he wasn't hitting people all, all the way. But to answer Matt's question, specifically for Jacobs, like for, for how much hype he had in his tape at Iowa, like you want to get him in as long as he can go. It's like kind of a split between Eric's answer and my answer. It's like if he's ready, get him out there. And you don't have to play him 50 snaps, but we assume this game is going to be a little bit out of reach at one point during the game. Then you can you can bring your you can bring him in. You can take out the starters. You can bring Jacobs in. Just let him get some reps because you. I would want. I would if I were Dan. I would think I would want these guys with game experience before I send them against Washington and arguably the biggest game of the year. Well, I guess, and the only last thing I would say is, if it's an injury like a hamstring or or a, you know a non, I guess bone related injury for lack of a better word, but like something that's high. Get worse. Yeah, re-aggravating it, I would also want to be careful. That's why I think it's kind of nuanced because we know so little about what is actually happening with him physically because we don't we don't get any information and what he's actually logged. But to Jared's point, like if he's got the thumbs up from the training staff, I think it's worth getting him out there. If it's like he could go, but maybe we there's a 20% chance of re-aggravating it, I think you just want to sit him and, and, and rest him for, throughout the bye week and then get him out there as soon as possible after. All right, real quick, let's turn our attention a little bit towards just knowing Stanford. Um, Eric, you've got a couple pieces on Know the Foe up on DuckTerritory.com already. Um, this is a Stanford team that, quite honestly, uh, is different than yeah. previous versions of Stanford. All, obviously because of the coaching change. David Shaw is no longer here. Troy Taylor is in. They don't run the smash-mouth power-eye formation you know, stuff that they did, triple tight end, quadruple tight end formations anymore. They're more air raid. Um, so that obviously is the, the appearance factor, but the talent on this roster, you were talking about how difficult it was to find guys. Because A, partly A, because we don't, you know, so little is known about this team still. But B, like they just don't have the the marquee names in the conference that traditionally we have seen Stanford have. Even in their down years, they've had guys that are like, yes, that will – maybe it's only one defensive back, but that guy will be an early-round draft pick because he's really good. Or this is the next tight end that they have that will be a very special player. Maybe they do have one this season. They do. But um, it's it's the talent level is significantly dropped again for, for Stanford, which is saying something because it was pretty bad last year. Yeah, the uh, the roster has 15 blue chippers, which surprised me. So they're 37th in the talent composite for comparison. Colorado, I think, was 35th. So it's like there is some talent. The issue is a lot of these guys who were highly rated recruits just aren't very good or not very impactful guys. Like David Bailey is the highest rated recruit on the roster. He was a top 50 recruit a couple of cycles ago. He's a guy that like coast to coast everybody wanted. He's a smart kid, cho- chose to go to Stanford. Again, Smart person. That's a good school to go to if you uh, want to get academically uh, ahead of everybody else. He is a very good football player. So they have these individuals that are like, like David Bailey could play at Oregon and be one of their better edge guys. Like he has four sacks this season. He had three against Hawaii and and since has a harder time getting home. But like physically gifts, gifted wise, like he's in the top, I don't know, 10%, 15% of edge guys in this conference probably. Like he's a good player. But to Matt's point in general, there has been a big talent drain, and I think you see it particularly on offense. 
um, where they're playing two quarterbacks, Ashton Daniels and Justin Lamson. Um, both guys have played at, over the last three games, like kind of in a split. And as Matt and I were talking about this morning over at Starbucks, it's not just like, cause Daniels has been knocked in and out of the lineup a little bit, but it's also like, they're just like in the middle of series changing quarterbacks. And Lamson seems to be the one they want to run more with. He had 57 yards rushing last week, but neither are very good passers. Lamson's completing less than 50%. Daniel's just over 50, I think like 55, 56. Um, and Daniel's when they played against Pac-12 competition, USC and Arizona, it's just been pretty objectively bad. So um, they did compete against Arizona and made it very difficult for the Wildcats to win that game last weekend. At, at home. So that part has to be acknowledged. Not like they're coming off getting railroaded the way Colorado did. This is a team that lost by one point against Arizona, who I think is, I think Arizona is like a pretty solid Pac-12 team. They're not at, the, they're like in a year where there are seven or eight really good teams, they're like a very serviceable eighth or ninth or wherever you want to rank them, like in my opinion. So the fact that Stanford hung around is like kind of impressive. But again, like when your best player on offense is Ben Yorosik, who's your tight end, who I would, Bet has an NFL future of some sort. There just isn't a whole lot around him. The running back picture is weird because it's like Filkins was starting, didn't play this last week. To Matt's point, like it's hard to get information on these guys because there's not a lot of beat writers. We'll have Jackson Moore um, on for our our preview pod with the opposing team expert uh, tomorrow or on Wednesday. So that'll be worth checking out to kind of get some more information on some of this. But like. I have a not a great feel for this team offensively, and I don't know at the end of the day if that matters all that much because um, Oregon's just a lot more talented, and I think if Oregon takes care of business, there probably aren't a lot of names you need to know anyway. Yeah, I, this is um, not a great team. I'll, I'll put it like that. Um, Troy Taylor, their their head coach, has a huge, huge ask ahead of him because Stanford has – you know, I guess I kind of grew up with as like a like from the East Coast, and I would stay up. Like Stanford was the cream of the crop of the Pac-12 for a while. Them and Oregon, and obviously every every program is trying to get back to that type of pedestal where they were at some point during their you know program and their whatever the 80s and 90s. Like teams are always searching to get back there. And Troy Taylor's been been put in charge of that. His 2024 recruiting class seems promising, but to Eric's point, um, talent. Lack thereof in at Stanford. Uh, really do like David Bailey though. Like he's he's going to be a good good player at one point. Um, probably shouldn't transfer from Stanford just because you get a Stanford education, which is way better than a lot of other options, and you get to play in a big conference next year in the ACC. But I just wanted to talk about the offensive line because it's not great. Um, their best starting pass block grade by PFF for one of their starting offensive linemen is a. 60.1 uh less than ideal they rotate a lot of guys it seems like just uh like you only have three guys over 200 snaps a bunch of guys in the mid 150s 160s 70s 80s, 90s um they've been kind of going back and forth with their guards um i looked up the media guide here for the name pronunciation so i don't mess this up uh see simeone pop pop Ale, Simeone cool. Pale. That's their one of their starting left guards or right guards. He started for the first three year, th three games of the season, then went to Logan Burzins for this last game against Arizona. They are really trying to find something on the offensive line, and 
Simeone had a 27.6 pass block grid, um, and it's just not great overall. Burzins is like it's, a 28.8. It's uh, excuse me, sorry. He has a 75.6 pass grid. He's by far their best pass blocking offensive lineman, but Oregon's defensive front should have just another field day at the office theoretically this week. Colorado throws the ball way more than Stanford does, but their sack rates between the two teams are very comparable. Colorado mm-hmm. gives up a sack like every 13, uh, 13% of the time that they drop back. And I ran the numbers yesterday that Stanford's defensive or offensive line gives up a sack 11% of the time. Um, they're, they're very similar. They're equally as bad. Um, and I'm a big believer in that a big reason why Stanford just doesn't have as many sacks allowed as Colorado is because they just simply don't throw it as much. And if, if they did, their numbers would be very similar. So this should be in theory, a game in which Oregon's defensive line could feast yet again, or at least the front seven. I mean, I should just say the defense because Williams got a sack at safety uh, against Colorado. So, I don't. It's not fair to say Oregon's defense needs to get seven sacks because then that would be deemed just ridiculous. But it should be one where we could see a guy get multiple sacks. We could see Oregon have another high number, which is typically four or five sacks in a football game or more. Um, it's there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Oregon's defense to make some big plays yet again because, as you guys pointed out, that their offense isn't very good. And it's very clear with four different starting lineups. They've been rotating guys that tackle the guard. Guard, Jerry pointed out, different guards are playing. Um, I think center is the only position that has had the same starter for yeah. all four games. Um, they don't know what they have at offensive line still. And you're four games in, and that's not a good sign. So it should be one where the expectation for Oregon is that they, they probably control this line of scrimmage pretty well. And maybe similar to Stanford or sorry to Colorado, I should say. I think Oregon can be pretty comfortable just playing aggressive man coverage on the outside on these guys, the tight end part. That'll be interesting to see how that, that matchup is probably the one that gives Stanford a little bit of hope here. If they're able to utilize Eurosic with high frequency and Oregon didn't do a great job against Texas tech in particular, defending the tight end position. So I'll be curious to see how they've improved there. And then the only other thing I wanted to point out on that side of the football that is kind of notable is something that Dan pointed out, but that I kind of thought about too coming in, having watched a little bit is Stanford will rely on design quarterback runs. And that was something early yeah. on in the season we saw, especially against um, Portland State and Texas Tech, really caused some problems. I don't expect Stanford's going to try to run their quarterbacks like 20 times the way Tyler Shuck was used, but Lamson had 13 carries last week as a as a kind of a split, like or, or not kind of a split. He was utilized as you know the, the second quarterback when when Daniels wasn't on the field. So that's something to keep an eye on. Will be how does Oregon defend some of those QB draws, some of those RPOs, some of that stuff. And again, to to, to make Jared and Matt's point earlier, this is not traditional Stanford football. This is a very different looking style of football. The type of offense they run much more reminiscent of what Oregon faces every other week in the conference with the exception of now um, Oregon State and a little bit of Utah depending upon – because Utah can get kind of multiple in what they do. So this is not mm-hmm. like years past where you'd be like, oh, Stanford 
we have to totally change our scheme because they're playing completely differently than everybody else. Now they are more in line with what more conventional football is doing these days. All right. I think that's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back. Like Eric said, uh, Wednesday afternoon with an interview with Jackson Moore. He covers the Stanford Cardinal for 24 seven sports. So he will be making his return uh, on the show uh, this season. We had him on earlier. He also covers a couple other teams for us. We'll get some inside scoop on the Cardinal. Also preview the matchup Saturday, 3.30 down on the farm. Until then, you've been listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. <laughs>